Trustee Zorthian. Here. Trustee Banerjee. Trustee DeVries. Here. Trustee Hernandez. Here. Trustee Lawrence. Here. We have a quorum. Great, thank you. Uh, so we will call open session to order and then uh, we'll call ourselves into open session. And then uh, Joel will uh, adjourn us into closed session, is that right? Calling open session back into session, open meeting. Um, so let me see, the, looks to me like the medical executive committee reports are the first on the agenda. Dr. Walker is no longer going to be presenting the one for core, however. So, um, Dr. Shaw. Thank you. So we have the MEC report for AHS core. Uh, we, sorry, the MEC meeting consisted of a collection of reports by our departments, uh, including the Department of Rehabilitation, the Department of Ambulatory and Preventive Medicine, and the Laboratory Medicine and Pathology Departments. The Department of Rehab um, reported that the patient satisfaction is at 82%, which is under the goal of 90%. 82% um, is still relatively high, and we're working on that. The benefits of our inpatient rehab facility were discussed, as well as the current workflow in which we obtain patients and in which we advertise that we are open for business. Uh, all of these things were discussed and consideration was given to possibly spending more effort into recruiting patients from other facilities that may be sending their patients to skilled nursing facilities instead of acute rehab facilities. And there seemed to be an opportunity for an increase in um, bed occupancy due to that. That seemed to be the main thing from what we all gathered from that report. Uh, there, was also up, there was also an update given on regulatory compliance, payer mix, and, and basically a demographic discussion about where those patients were coming from. The Department of Ambulatory and Preventive Medicine was given by Dr. Sivak. It was a great report based on the fact that they talked very candidly about their patient experience model, how they've accounted for that, where they're getting their data was traditionally phone uh, surveys. And with our patient population, that tends to be an issue due to the fact that some of our patients have phone numbers that change quite frequently. And the subset, the actual N, was so low, it wasn't giving them good enough data to do anything with. So we spoke about changing those measurements and transitioning them to paper-based and email surveys, which in literature, throughout literature, in, in uh, in various fields in medicine has proven to actually be a little bit more effective uh, rather than phone surveys. So Dr. Sivak's hopeful that we can get better numbers to know exactly how we need to improve the ambulatory and preventive medicine. Uh, we had a lengthy discussion about the success that John George has experienced with their patient satisfaction scores and how we can apply that across our system. Uh, we talked about wait times and um, in general compliance and uh, evidence-based practice in both adult and uh, pediatric medicine. Laboratory medicine and pathology department was given in great detail by Dr. Valerie Ng, uh, who spoke about the many realms of responsibility she and her department actually have. Uh, 
it was very it was very enlightening to see how critical that department is to the to the basic operations, both inpatient, outpatient, and going further into the community, which she spoke about um, for some time with uh, with great data. We talked about, in general, the national shortage of laboratory workers and how it's not that we don't want to hire more people for that department. It's just that there's not as many people going into that field. And so we're trying to spur, in a national sense, more scientists being created who go into laboratory medicine. And right now, it's quite apparent that that's a problem not only locally, but throughout the country. And she spoke about that at length. Uh, we talked about uh, sustainability revenue cycles improving through contract changes and decreased blood utilization. Not doing blood transfusions when we don't need to. Not only is it putting patients at risk, but it's also wasting money when we think we have to transfuse somebody and we don't. That is a waste of money and resource and a waste of blood quite frankly, and that has decreased phenomenally over the last two years to the tune of $253,000 and $522 right there at the bottom there. The outpatient satisfaction uh, surveys uh, to measure wait time, courtesy, uh, and general cleanliness has performed above the target of 96% for both May and June of 2015, and that was anytime we get anything 90% and above, it's something to be proud of, I think. And so. We looked at further then at the HIM um, delinquency rates, and I'm sure you are all aware that our threshold has gone to about 10%. We've been performing consistently below that since November, or about actually about January of 2015. We're, we're well below that, so much to the tune that we're considering lowering that delinquency rate. We had a lengthy discussion about that, however, it, it, it's a good thing. We've gotten that delinquency rate below um, that 10% rate. I, I believe standard is anywhere from 6 to 10%. So we are, we are getting close to, to those numbers. Dr. Zorothean, am I incorrect on that? We're Right. No, but I mean standard, what's out there and what most okay. systems are doing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we also spoke at length with the physicians and encouraged them to realize that missing dictations, especially those involving the OR, uh, involve our reimbursement, uh, you know, they impact our reimbursement rate significantly. So that's generally what we spoke about at MedExec besides some of the things we spoke about earlier. <clears throat> I just wanted to note the, um, regarding the clinical lab scientists, what kind of education is required to get that, that in a position like that? Um, and my second question, which is a comment, is I, my little radar is going off. That uh, Atlantic Philanthropies grant for the pipeline project, I mean, we've got young people in communities in Oakland and Hayward that are um, desperate for careers that aren't necessarily looking at an Ivy League education because it's out of their reach. And if we can recruit and grow our own, and fill, uh, I mean, I think we should look anywhere across the system where we see a shortage of workers. That's the programs we should be offering at our high schools and our junior colleges. And so this sounds like, I mean, I don't know what that job pays, but. Um. Yeah, and actually Dr. Ng addressed some of those concerns by uh, stating that they have 
they've kind of created these movements and these reach outs to the community to show that it's mostly for undergrads and so they've been reaching out to undergrads and some high school students, but there's definitely more opportunity there. Dr. Ng, I think, would be happy to talk to you about that because this is a recognized need. It's at least BA level. Yeah. Um, That's why they're reaching out to undergrads. Yeah, and, and it's an aging workforce. People just aren't going into that field. But I think it's a great idea. I was just going to say that um, some of those things that you talked about, particularly the blood transfusion issues and a couple others you raised, um, when we went last year to the patient harm conference, those were some of the big issues that they talked about. And um, being able to reduce patient harm were directly related to those procedures that, uh, that you spoke of. So I'm, I'm really pleased that it's getting embedded into our system. Any other questions for Dr. Shaw? Um, I guess we just accept these reports, yeah? Or, okay. Nice job. Thank you. Um, the other two uh, are in your packet. Um, if anybody had any questions about them or if Satira had anything you wanted to say or Karen about the two medi other medical executive committee reports. Bonnie, any thoughts? No, I don't. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty clear, I think. Um, some information about buying new beds and all kinds of things. Uh, rounding to improve the patient experience and the new patient transfers. New beds that cost more than my car. <laughs> Oh, by far more than your car, I'm sure. There actually might be something that comes out in the paper here pretty soon for uh, Alameda. Jerry Randrup, our uh, in charge of marketing, she's working with a local paper because we're donating the beds, our old ones, to uh, countries that really need them. Oh, cool. So either the Philippines or uh, in Africa. So we're very excited to be able to do that and share that with the community. And uh, we've got 30, 35 new med surge tele beds and uh, seven new ICU beds. And they're, they're pretty phenomenal. They can play therapeutic music and they can <laughs> help rotate patients. And they speak 20 different languages, too. Really? Yeah. It's pretty cool. We're partnering with a company called MedShare, and because of our affiliation with Alameda Health System, it's, it's, we're really fortunate that we don't have to pay a single penny to have these beds being donated. So they're going to be checking all the United States first to see if there's an area, and then send them out to the other countries. Right. I think I think your point is is well taken. Uh, MedShare, as Bonnie was mentioned, is a company that has uh, uh, built their business around trying to find areas of disproportionate need and and where resources might not 
either meet a need or a standard in one area and they do in another area that, that they can do that. Uh, the point she was just making was one that we were able to drive home with them that that this is, while it's a great service, it obviously they, it costs them to do it and they have an infrastructure and usually for organizations who want to do this, they charge them a fee. Uh, but for us, uh, because they understand our circumstances and how we're uh, constituted, uh, they they were willing to waive that fee in exchange for us uh, being able to find these these few uh, precious resources that we have that might actually still have some utility somewhere else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, along the lines of patient uh, experience, there's one thing on here that you might be curious about. It's called a no-pass zone. And uh, I was prepping Dr. Yako on this, uh, but he had to leave early. But uh, you know how when you're in a, a patient or a family member in a hospital and you're in the room and you push the call light button and then all these people walk by down the hall and you're wondering, why aren't they helping me? So um, a no-pass zone is a proven best practice of an initiative hospital-wide where you uh, basically train all the different departments to anybody who walks by, if they see the call light button on, to uh, appropriately go into the room, you of course hand washing it and everything, and, and then um, ask if they've gotten assistance, and then if not, to help find whoever their nurse may be. Um, but it has proven to help dramatically increase the perception of responsiveness. So we're going to Can, can try. we do that everywhere? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are sure of that too. <laughs> In an ideal world. I, uh, I mean, um, understanding that it's, it's hard for, uh, yeah, I, I, again, I reflect back on my experience this summer when my dad was in the intensive care unit and there's so many people working on him and you hit that call light and like so many people go by and you're like, doesn't anybody care? Yeah. And even though the people that I would, I would end up pulling into the room were the wrong person, mm -hmm. you know, at least they would then get the right person. So I, I think that's a great policy to, from a customer point of view. I, we agree. Um, I, I don't think there's a reason why we we uh, wouldn't do it everywhere. Uh, it may just be a matter of timing because a lot of these initiatives are occurring at different sites, and so as we layer them on, we're sensitive to you know, staff and, and, and the pressure. Uh, but but it's certainly your point is well taken. You know, we should look at that if we're not doing it in other places. I think it is part of Kinsey's long-term plan for patient experience. It's one of the components. Good afternoon. Um, I would like to take just a moment and talk about the patient engagement uh, scores at San Leandro. And we've seen a, a rather significant improvement in the scores. And Interestingly, it corresponds with the way we've changed our, our survey methodology. We're using the, the phone calls now, and so we're getting a, a higher response rate. And traditionally, when you have a higher response rate, you tend to see higher scores. And so, you know, I, I don't want to say that's the only reason. I'd like to say it's because the staff are doing better. But, but the reality is our scores have gone up. And so the True North metric is to be to have a rating of 9 or 10 for the overall hospital. Our baseline was 56.2. Um, our goal for this fiscal year is 68.3. In August, we were at 65.6, and that's closed. And so that was, again, 10 points above the baseline for the year. Um, we have preliminary numbers for September still, and uh, those preliminary numbers are higher than what we had the month prior, again, because we initiated the phone call survey. So we're just seeing higher total ends, and that one is at 63.9. So again, 
pretty close to what we did in August, and I believe that will continue to go up as more surveys come in. And then October's numbers are fairly small because, again, we're still in the month of October. And the drivers, um, I wish I could show this to you. I apologize. I don't have it ready to show on the screen, but those are all yellow, and so they are, they're getting where we want. They're not green yet, but they're yellow. And as you move across looking at the drivers, um, the majority of them are actually green. And so we're seeing a lot more greens than the overall category for San Leandro. And so we're, we're optimistic. Our trajectory is uh, going in the right direction, and we're seeing much more of the greens than we did in the months prior. Let me um, just say something about the phone call versus the mail situation. Um, for HCAPS, which is hospital-based, I think that people feel that the phone calls work the best. The outpatient, which is what Dr. Shaw was referring to earlier, right. is the is we're going to mail because it's expensive to do the phone calls. We want to try and get as many as possible and bring up so that you can actually count on the data. It, we've, we've got the denominator just isn't big enough sometimes. So um, we're, they've been collecting email addresses for the outpatients. They've been working on getting the right ad, you know, physical addresses and we're gonna try and see if we can raise our numbers of responses by going to email and, and uh, email. And it's not effective to give them the card as they walk out the door? I, I'm not understanding why those things have to be mailed and just help me understand it. I mean. Uh, the, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a great question. Um, the surveys are uh, uh, usually conducted by one or two agencies uh, throughout the country to have parity and uh, uh, similarities in approaches so that they, they can be uh, as uh, comparable as possible. And so they are really uh, tight parameters around anything you can do to impact the rating of that score. And some of that is, you know, uh, uh, the, the, they have a standard approach to getting data from us, abstracting data around who actually came to see you, who was discharged from your facility, and then they have their formalized survey. So, so it's really, you don't get to be involved in it. You basically contract with an entity that all of us contract with so that they can do it according to their processes. So. then for patient is there just one measurement then for patient oh, this this measurement no, well w w the hcap scores or the prescani yeah. scores uh it's a collection of score uh, a survey that has like a series of questions around no no that's not what i meant okay. uh, i'm sorry okay. um the, the what's it called hcap yeah so are there other other measurements besides hcap that um tells us patient satisfaction? Um, on, a, on a comparative basis, I don't think so. When we t just talk about patient satisfaction, I don't think so. I think those are it. I mean, there's, so, so there's two, but they're connected. So HCAPS, which is only about inpatient, well, it's inpatient and I think uh, it is hospital-based, yeah. Um, uh, they have a sort of a corollary for outpatient, so CG cap clinical group, and then I think they're doing something for post-acute uh, if they haven't already. Uh, they're the standard by which sort of all the hospitals uh, are, are measured, and they're connected, point in fact, to uh, Medicare uh, uh, rules around reimbursement and how you score and how you improve or reduce that score. So that's really it, but it doesn't stop. Uh, there are tons of organizations who do sort of a more localized, homegrown sort of thing uh, that they can then use as a sort of 
uh, isolated view of what the organization is doing. Press Ganey does that for organizations too, where you can design your own survey uh, contract with them to do it, and, and they'll sort of go through that. But those things don't get used for anything that's, that's uh, used on a comparative uh, national comparative basis. basis. Yeah. Uh, Some places even do their own, you know, they just do create your own survey. The, the reason why those are the reason I'm told or I understand why those organizations create sort of a, you know, a bright line between their work and ours is you, you want to be careful about patients being concerned about their rating of an organization impacting the care that they receive. So they try to uh, dissociate it as much as possible so that you can, it's supposed to encourage greater candor uh, um, because we don't get the scores back uh, 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 as a you know patient X said this right, about right, you. There's right. a way sometimes you can connect and you can use it for follow-up. Uh, but generally the expectation is that the patient can speak freely and openly about, you know, what they thought was good and bad about the place without fear of retribution okay. as it relates to their health care. Okay. Uh, I asked the question because uh, I have long been a, a strong uh, advocate uh, or I guess in, in opposition to single measurements and particularly in education when they do, you know, a single yeah. assessment and you measure kids or a school's ability on a, sta on a single standardized measurement. Mm -hmm. So I've always advocated that in particular categories that were important, that you have more than one measurement that you use to assess your your own effectiveness. Yeah. So that's not to say that we shouldn't use this. I think it's important that 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 we are compared across the nation and locally to where the hospitals are. But it makes sense to me whether it's a box, an anonymous box that's outside every every you know, or every hospital or every corridor or whatever, um, that we have a form that talks about our own so that we can have a little more feedback sure. that is generic to the work that we're doing. So that's yeah. something for consideration for future. But And even uh, generally more, I think your point is taken because it can be more timely. These it, surveys yeah, absolutely. Are it's more timely and, and it's more than one measurement. And so oftentimes we beat ourselves up because we're now at 68 and we should be at at you know 72 when in fact if you look at what people are actually saying instead of going out we're at 95 yeah. and so uh, I I anyway. think your point your point is is well taken and it is actually just like uh, I, I imagine and, and know a little bit about in a, a, uh, academia similar sorts of challenges occur for us there's a regional variation in people's willingness to yes. to uh, uh, speak disfavorably about their uh, place of care so I think uh, historically in the South, scores are better because people are nicer in the South and everybody's uh, uh, great, right? Uh, there's also a differentiation between uh, this, this cultural and socioeconomic uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, um, distinctions between uh, scores that a facility receives. So if you take care of a, a, uh, a diverse population, sometimes you find that your scores are, are not well reflected in this battery that isn't you know particularly exactly. sensitive to those things. Exactly. So, yeah. so th it might be something we look at in the future yeah. for for putting together. That's a good point. Yeah. <coughs> Thank you, James. I have a question for you. I'm sorry. Um, I, at the very last minute, I had to send my apologies not to be able to attend um, last night's um, doctor's meeting. So could you give just a brief mm -hmm. report on, on what that was? And I hope they got my apology. I'm, I really had intended to and just couldn't get there. Absolutely. Well, yes, they, they did. We, um, we did send your, your regards. Um, you. But it was a, a really well-attended meeting. So this was the annual medical staff dinner. And um, we thought, Satera 
first of all, Satir and the team did a fabulous job putting it together. So it was Lily, Lily Wong and um, Kylie Madden and Satira really helped pull that event together. And um, there were probably 50 physicians there, I think. We had a total of 70 attendees, 50 70. over 50 providers. Yeah, 70 attendees, over 50 providers. Um, and so we had a quality report. Um, I gave a, a CAO's summary report. And then um, Ashby Wolf, who is the Area 9 medical officer for <coughs> DMS, uh, CMS and came and did a really, you know, great presentation about um, how physician compensation is kind of moving from a, a government level and and the doctors to say that they were engaged would be a tremendous understatement. I mean, they the Q and A it was fascinating. Um, Dr. Walker was there and he and I were kind of going, "Good Lord, how do they know all this stuff?" I mean, they were just so locked in and so they were. Um, I think, and I will just say in my comments. I really was um, talking about the relative stability that we've been able to achieve in the now 728 days that we've been um, at San Leandro Hospital, and not that I'm counting every day, but, um, <laughs> and, uh, and now we're moving up the pyramid, you know, if you will. We've achieved basic stability. We um, still had a loss, but it was less than the loss that was anticipated in fiscal year 15, and we're looking to do even better in the years to come, and um, we have the basis for a strong future at San Leandro Hospital. So that was the essence of, of my comments to the physicians. But um, a very engaged meeting, very well received, and I was um, pleased by the, the number of physicians there and their level of participation in the meeting. Thank you. Okay, so we have had all three of the medical staff reports. I imagine they're mostly informational, but we, do we have a motion to accept them? I move to accept. I second. Uh, all those in favor? Aye. 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 So no one opposed. Um, now to the consent agenda, which is the minutes and the policies. However, I know we have some uh, things we want to discuss with the policies, so let's just pass the minutes. Would anybody I like move to? I move approval of the minutes. Second. Okay, and all those those in favor are aye. Aye. And no one opposed. So now to get to the policies. Um, I, I will tell you that I had a conversation with the, one of the nurse executives here today, and he asked me to have the visiting hours policy pulled for now, but I think Karen may have some more information about that. Um, so it went through the policy and procedure review process, went to um, the, the patient care services, the, the policy and procedure um, approval committee, and it was approved. Um, but I think there were some questions because there are limitations on the hours that people can visit. And so many organizations have decided that that's antiquated, that people should be able to be with their families. So there was some discussion, but I think a decision was made to move it through and then to circle back because the policy was up for expiration. So, um, so we've had several conversations with a variety of different people and, and the policy, um, this is our current policy and there really weren't many changes. So we can decide to approve it because it is our current policy and it expires, I think, last month or this month. Um, 
or we can decide not to approve it. The policy would still be in place, it just wouldn't be current. And um, the policy will be circling back through because we have beds in the new hospital, so we have sleepers, so um, we're gonna have to have a discussion and consensus around are we gonna limit visitation or not, and that's a discussion that has to be had that I've already talked to John Chapman about, um, Rache Holman's aware of that, and one of the nursing groups um, for, uh, for Magnet actually brought up the issue the staff nurses say they, they wanna revisit the policy, so we will circle that back through. Either way is fine. For the purpose of discussion, I'm, I move that we send the policy back for, um, for update. Okay. Can I second Thanks. a friendly amendment to that? Mm -hmm. That when it come, that, that that policy come back in full to this committee, not just as part of a box, so we can actually see what it is. Oh, it's in there. It's yeah. in there. It's it, in you the just you just go through. Oh, it. I, I couldn't. I didn't see it. Okay. You just keep going. It's in the, um, the it's in the addendum. I'm sorry. I was I was going to the end of the packet and not seeing it. I didn't yeah, yeah, think. Yeah. I didn't go to the addendum. Okay, my bad. And you know, if if the committee would like, we could you know we could bring more depth or maybe a little bit more discussion than just the policy if it's of interest. This one just seems so important to our competitiveness. With the with the healthcare world, that this would be a board, I, I think something this committee would want to take up. Unlike some of the other policies we look at, which we don't have any qualification to, we we just pass them because we trust the medical experts. When it comes to family access, all of us have been the family member of a hospital, so at a, you know. I I will tell you that I actually emailed Rache after he asked me to pull it and said, and while you're at it, why don't you think about eliminating the visiting hours and get us in the in sync with the rest of the world? So he already knows that we're, we're thinking about that. I do think there's some merit, however, in the fact that, um, particularly in rooms where there are two patients, and having been in a hospital where I was a patient and the visiting hours and the party that went on in the bed next to me was was really kind of quite disconcerting. Um, so we might want to just, I think that needs to be reviewed. Well, I, I really think the expansion of visiting hours, we should consider that, but we have to keep in mind the issue of, of shared rooms, and I think, Barry, you raised that earlier. That's right, and then that's why we have it, but our, we are moving to a new building, so we, we may have this six-month kind Pierre of gap. interim. Well, can I can I, I say too? Um, of course. If, if I may, um, uh, I I I think this conversation is is spot on for what it's worth. Uh, um, I I agree with and, and Kieran and I had a discussion around this. Uh, the direction I think we should actually uh, lift uh, visiting hours, particularly when we do go to the new facility where we have better accommodations that facilitate this both from uh, the the facilities perspective, but certainly in promoting you know recovery and well-being and family connection, which I think is important. I think to Trustee Lawrence's uh, uh, um, point that uh, in the meantime, though we do you know we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves because uh, uh, a change of this nature does warrant I think a thoughtful deliberation on its execution. Uh, uh, it means it does mean a big change for patient or for patients, but, but also the staff. Uh, so, so uh, I think there should be a little bit of um, 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 thought put into what comes back to you, uh, and so it, 
in that vein, uh, I think we'll be in a better position come April of next year or whenever it is that we move into the new facility. Uh, I, I, I just as a proposal for your consideration, um, uh, I would, and, and I didn't pull this one or ask for this one to be pulled um, because I felt that it was one important that we stay consistent or, or current on our policies. Um, two, that approving this policy now doesn't preclude us from changing it next month. But three, that uh, point in fact, the discussions around this and how to do this might actually take a little bit longer. So the longer it takes, the longer we are uh, out of compliance with our policies. Uh, so we would be in compliance if we approved it today. Wouldn't change anything from today or tomorrow, just like it wouldn't if you sent it back. Uh, uh, the, but the only change would be that we're at least current uh, with the uh, 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 with the request from the board to continue immediately. Don't put this off. Uh, go on to discussions around how do we remove this and when do we remove this. Uh, that would be right for the patient care and the the operations of the facility. So, just a proposal for your consideration. But if you say send it back, then we'll do that as well. I, I can certainly live with that. We can give it a. a a time-limited approval if we wanted to in six months, six to nine months? Well, Joe will have to remove his second and I, I'll have to. <laughs> I don't see it. I'm sorry. I'm, am I missing something? I don't see the addendum. Oh. It's we have to go out of this book. Oh, it's yes. Not it's a separate the document. Book. Because it's, it's, it's several pages. It's, a really, it's all the policies I'm together. sorry. It's okay. a huge file. Yes. I, I see. Okay, that I was. I, for some reason, I thought it'd be embedded in this. Okay. Um, I have a question. Yeah. Um, I'm not opposed to giving temporary approval. Um, I have a question, though, about the existing policy. So, having just been through this with my dad, there's times when staying overnight and staying with your loved one for 24/7 is because you need to be a patient advocate. Mm -hmm. And do we allow for that? And do we Not have a way policy. to make that possible in our current policy? Tell you that um, being the administrator on duty, I will get calls for people, uh, calls saying uh -huh. whether there's a, a service dog or there's somebody in the family. So the house supervisor, um, pretty much has flexibility to make decisions based on that, and if, if it's problematic, they can escalate it to the administrator on call okay. who, can, who can override that, and Wh I have done Where that. does that say in the policy? Um, I don't know if it's indicated in the policy. It's but not, and as a result, yeah. that the person doing what you said is in violation of policy. Well, um, you know, policies... Um, there has to be some flexibility with policies, and it some policies to, are circumstance. Then made. it has to be written that. So I, I have to go back and look at the policy to so see uh, if there's. So I, I'm going to stand by my my initial my initial uh, motion. If the rest don't want it, that's okay. That um, you would be reasonable. You would do this for a family, but it's not in the policy. And now it becomes something that's the purview of the personality of the individual at play. And um, this is where I think a lot of real significant cross-cultural issues come to bear on why a family might ask to be a patient advocate. So um, when it comes to being able to stay with your loved one, I, I think we need something to guard against it being 
seen as a simple whim of a person's purview versus a policy that says at any given time a family member may request the option to be a patient advocate to stay in the room. I mean, we, we need to make that part of the policy and not leave it to chance, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I'm concerned. And I, I think your concern is, is founded. Uh, um, I, and, and I don't disagree with it, actually. Uh, I'm, what I was stating essentially is we're going to do this anyway. Uh, um, so we can, you know, I, I think there is a, a, you know, a message to the board approving this. And so if you are uncomfortable doing that because of these reasons, I think you should, you should actually not approve it. Uh, but but uh, understanding that not approving it today does not change the policy today, that it won't change until it comes back to you to do this. Uh, but, you know, there's a message in you taking a stance now and setting a precedent that this is not something that you're willing to sign off on. And so if you want to keep that going, then, you know, I, I, I understand it. And we'll do it either way. So now, um, where are we? What's the motion? I think you still have a motion in a second. Which is to pull this one. Yes. I, just, I mean, now that I've pulled it up, I mean, it's right. This is the exact policy that, that as I mentioned last week, was complained to me about that visiting hours are from 11 a.m. to 8 p.m., but doctors do the rounds before 11 a.m. And if you want to be there when the doctor is visiting your dad or your mom or your wife or your husband or whatever, like, I mean, I'd, I'd be willing to pass them today with the modification that visiting hours will begin at 8 a.m. so that people can be there when their doctor makes the rounds of their loved one. So I, I'd be willing to do that today. Do we have that power? And then, and then ask for the rest of it to come back for let's the full just, is that too let's much? Let's just pull it. Okay, fine. Yep. I think um, that, am, I, Mike, am I getting down into the weeds now? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> you should send it back to us so we'll with that understanding back. and your, 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 your concern is, is noted. Karen will let them know what our concerns are. I certainly will. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Um, so all those in favor of pulling this policy? Aye. 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 Um, okay, no one opposed. So other questions about any other policies? I do. Yes, ma'am. Um, on the primary care, you just have a typo, so you need to write on the surface of it, you have a typo. So that's my only on that one. But on the panel size, uh -huh. I, have, I have a concern. And uh, the concern is this, that I did learn that um, this is, the panel size is negotiated. And, um, and as a result, it's a process issue for me. Um, one is that I don't think you should put in policy things that have been negotiated at a table. And what it says is that if you put this in the policy at this, at this place, then if I'm understanding labor law, um, you can't then go to the table to change it because the policy supersedes the collective bargaining process. So um, I would be concerned about that issue. And I also found out that um, it was discussed at the table that, um, or agreed to, that a policy would de be developed to put this in place. And 
I, I find that a bit disconcerting that a collective bargaining agreement would dictate what a board would agree to in policy. So I have a whole lot of issues with this one, but I, I'm only one vote. Certainly for the, the uh, beg the board to uh, pardon for my own education, but but I suspect the other members. Uh, what is? Can you tell us what this is? Is this in the the RN uh, policy? I'm no, it's, it's the UAPD policy. It is the UAPD. It's UAPD okay. policy. Um, I'm getting information. I didn't sit at the table, so I'm not as familiar as this as I, w as I would hope to be for this specific question. It's my understanding that we agreed with UAPD. Uh, the, uh, a specific panel size, I believe 1250 for physicians, I think, uh, in primary care, 1,000 for pediatricians and a different number for, for nurse practitioners. We agreed that we would put it into policy the size of panel. Predominantly, the, how we negotiated around productivity was number of visits and some quality measures that were also included in the contract, but not in this policy. It's an interesting question. I, I, I wonder why we w would would actually do that in the in the agreement actually more so than than the policy or even for policy for that matter I don't know that we needed to actually yes, have it, it as a see, policy. See in the contract agreement I, I don't I mean I don't have a quarrel if that's what's been negotiated at the table because the agreement in fact can be opened at any point in time to be renegotiated and to be and to be discussed. So I don't have a quarrel with it being in a contractual agreement. What I, what I find a bit disconcerting is that we would agree to create a policy that would spell out this caseload. And I think that's a bad practice. It's a bad road to go down. And I, for one, would not vote for this policy. So um, in part because you can no longer open it at the table anymore because you have a policy that is now set at a particular standard. And um, what would end up happening is that you have to go back to the board, you'd have to undo the policy, and then go back and negotiate it. And, and I just think it's a bad practice. As I said, I, not being at the table, I'm sort of interacting, trying to get information from Dick on the specific yeah, notes, negotiation, I, I, but. And I may be completely wrong, and, but that, when I read it, I thought, whoa-oh. Um, so, so that yeah. would be my concern. Yeah. Uh, that's what I think. Yeah. So would wanted. you like to pull it for today? Yeah, I would, yes. Thank All you. Right. Okay. That's good. Um, and no disagreement with that? We'll just pull it. Okay, I see other things that concern me. About the policy? Well, well I also know, I mean, the 75% the, the of non-urgent primary care visits will be with the patient's primary care. So knowing that we have this shortage in primary care doctors and this access problem that we're trying to address, if a primary care doctor is available to see a patient on a day and their normal primary care doctor isn't available, and that would, would that violate the, and, and, do you see the, the do you know the part I'm talking about? It, it, I'm not very that's okay. I'm not either because I'm not a doctor or a policymaker. But <laughs> so we're just we're we'll last. Yeah. 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 Okay.
strong right in the title. And I'm pointing this out very selfishly so that you guys will know that I read these things. <laughs> it's right on the... So I'll just... So, and then there are uh, several other policies from the other two hospitals, no problems with any of those. Um, all right, do I hear a motion to approve all the other policies besides the two that we have pulled? So moved. Second. And all those in favor? Aye. Aye as well. No one is opposed. The motions are, the policies are approved. Um, now, what else is on the agenda here? I keep it, my agenda is in the other packet, so wait a minute. This. After this. Open this. There we go. All right. So we are finished with the consent agenda. Um, we have the issue tracking, and we had earlier decided that the issue for today is how we are going to move forward with this committee. Um, who should attend? what kinds of things will be taken to the full board and which kinds of things we want to, that we think need to continue to be handled in this committee. So, um, one of the questions that was raised was, Michelle had said that, had felt that it, the full board should be part of the many of hearing most of the issues that have to do with quality. And I think that's great. Um, so that it becomes an educational thing for the board as well as knowing what's going on about all of our quality measures. Um, however, in closed session, we tend to hear about cases where things have not necessarily gone as we would wish or that there may be um, exposure to, to medical legal issues and so on. And those, the question is, should those go to the full board? And, well, that's part of, that's one question. And then the other question is that since we talk about those issues that happen on all of the other campuses, whether the CAOs should continue to come to this meeting. And um, since there has been a, a move to reduce the number of meetings, board meetings that the staff has to come to and just sit there and listen to us talk. Um, and in case there's an opportunity for us to ask them a question, maybe we they wouldn't need to come to this meeting as on a regular basis. But that is something else we wanted to talk about today. So, any thoughts? I'd like to hear from, since they're still here, I'd like to hear from the staff and from the doctors and see how they feel they could help benefit the conversation around quality and, um, and what pieces. So I'd love to hear from, from you and the rest of the staff before 
before we weigh in? Well, I think, uh, are you talking about how we can enlighten the rest of the board or just this committee? Uh, no, I, I uh, both. I, uh -huh. I'm really talking about both. One, yeah. one <clears throat> is that there, there was, in my view, an absence of the whole board mm -hmm. understanding um, issues of quality and what, when what was happening. And so some had more information than others. And so moving to a more, um, a more educational issue around quality in the hospital ought to be sure. a whole board issue. Sure. But there also, as Barry pointed out, there are those things that may just need to sit within this committee only. And sure. is that strictly credentialing? Is it other kinds of discipline issues? What do you think and how do you think we can involve your, your make use of your time and make sure. use of, of our CAO, CAO's times? Well, I think, interestingly enough, as Dr. Walker and I w were speaking about this yesterday, the quality process is a living, breathing being within our medical staff, um, you know, purview. Obviously, within, within, you know, Karen's purview as well, and we are changing it right now to become more detailed, incorporating kind of more of a consistent, consistent pattern on a day-to-day -day basis. As quality issues arise, what happens, what are we going to do with them, and how are we going to address them? So I think in terms of what we, sh what we should be telling the board is kind of where the process was, and I don't know how often it should be. Maybe, maybe it should be a quarterly discussion with the board, depending on how often they meet. I, I'm not sure how often they meet, but the process at this time is from a board level, I think, the more important thing. Something from taking a quality issue from A to Z, how does our institution do that? And how do we do it effectively? Are we effectively policing ourselves? And are we getting the information we need out of each event? And do we have the empowerment of all the employees involved in these things and patients involved in these things to deliver? Dr. Zorthian. Let me just ask you a question. Yeah. Are you thinking more in the realm of peer review in the yes. in the in the aspect of quality that you're talking about right I now? I am, but they're so tied together. No, no, no. I right. agree with that. But quality also, <clears throat> when we talk about quality, we can be talking about uh, core measures and sure. um, you know central line infections and all this kind of other area that. Is involves more than just the medical staff. Right. Side. Right. No. Exactly. That's all. All I can do is speak on that on the medical staff side. Um, that's why I would need you know Karen to chime in from from her side on on some of the more institutional things. But I think medical staff quality and delivering the care is fifty percent of the the whole quality issue. Maybe I, I'm just throwing that number out there. But I think the process as we shore up the process that is I think a board level issue. And um, I think some of the smaller details, the bumps in the road that we face along the way um, that need to be examined on a more detailed level, I'm not sure if the board needs to hear all of those things, like some of the temporary credentialing things and some of the suspension things. I think you know those things maybe are safely and more effectively communicated in this group. 
So, so if I could just add, so I think there has been discussion um, that everyone may not be aware about um, in draft proposal with regard to changing the board meetings. So having the board meet twice a month, one being an education session and one being board business. And so the proposal, not approved yet, is to have that meeting be right after this meeting. Um, so the plan is, the proposed plan is to have um, instead of having the medical staff um, or the medical executive committee or the president of the medical staff's report, the open session report, happen in here, the closed session re report would happen in here, but the open session report would be the report to the full board that would happen monthly. Is that, am, am I correct in that understanding, in that draft proposal? Address quality, but that's kind of an overall med exec committee report. Is that what you're so, so it, suggesting? So it will, it will, the open session report will address quality, but it will be open session type things. The peer review and the protected information will, my understanding, I think we're having, there's discussion about it. Should that remain in here in closed session with a little bit more detail? And then possibly when we move on to the full board in closed session, then the chair of this committee would highlight, you know, the themes for in closed session. I mean, that's one possibility. I, I do know that one of the things that I, I think Del Vecchio, you and I have talked about, or maybe Susanna and I, is that the doctors who would come to the board meeting would sit there for the whole board meeting and their report wasn't till the end. And so I wanted to make certain we move that up to the beginning so that then they can go and mend their bones or do whatever they do after, you know, when they're not sitting at a table. Um, and, and so we, we will do that. Um, I wasn't aware about the, th this meeting and then the, but I mean, that's certainly a possibility and I, and I don't see it. But relative to quality, um, you know, we're talking and Maria, Maria has often raised this issue about um, uh, our cultural sensitivity and what we do in the organization about those kinds of issues. Um, looking at, and, and Karen's been very good about giving us benchmarks relative to patient harm and where we are with those things, but oftentimes that only comes to this committee. And so the rest of the board doesn't have an understanding on how we are in fact making making those quality gains or not making gains. And, 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 and frankly, some of that benchmark can be very cumbersome and take up, take up more time than we may want to take up in a board meeting. So I think there's a balance of that kind of stuff. But I, I do think it serves the board's purpose to find out what is going on at each of our each of our medical sites and how does that information get to get to the board uh, and so th it's all that kind of information that seems to me where a board ought to be spending more of their time despite the fact that we may be in some financial issues I in my in my three years here almost everything has been about about finances and so you never really get a good quality conversation around what our role is as boards to help improve quality and service. How often, how often if 
do you think the board would want to think about that and want to hear about that and spend valuable board time hearing about that? Do you think it would be a quarterly thing? It seems like maybe a monthly thing may be excessive. I, I don't know. I guess I'm throwing it back uh, to you. Uh, I think that that depends on, on the kind of topics that mm -hmm. we may want to talk about. I, I do think it's important for you guys to have that conversation. And what are the things that would, in fact, enlighten a board? You know, if we can get really in-depth into quality issues. Um, so, but but I do know there's there are the board as a whole has expressed to me their concern about dealing with quality issues and patient patient satisfaction, et cetera. I mean, you you heard even even conversations about visiting hours today that mm -hmm. that we can deal with in a policy, but those are important issues that change the environment of a hospital. What do you guys think from a CAO standpoint in terms of that aspect, not the medical staff aspect, but the institutional aspect? Yeah. Yeah, well, I want to give all of you, and I, Maria also has a something. Uh, interesting conversation. The, uh, uh, unfortunately, I think the answer is it depends. It depends on what the interest is and what the conversation is centered around. Uh, uh, we can give the numbers uh, about certain quality metrics to Karen and to our medical staff, and they can bring that to the board and, and report the metrics. How we got there is uh, is a story that probably needs to be told. I don't know to what level of detail. I think back to how, you know the, the journey in improving patient satisfaction at John George. You've heard the story. Uh, we get much deeper into that and the, and the mechanics of doing that. Then I think that gets in it's so much into the weeds that it. It's, it's not valuable use of time. The, uh, but glad to tell the story one-on-one -on -one with board members or, or on a visit uh, or in an educational se uh, session. I don't know if it's regular, f regular fodder was the word that came to mind. I'll use it. Regular fodder for the board, though. Just uh, my, you know, my two cents. I, in terms of, of my informing the conversation, there are certain areas where I can't inform the conversation. Central line infections, for example, that's not an area or an area where um, is uh, is critical or we see in ambulatory nor in at uh, psychiatry. So I wouldn't have anything to add to that conversation as a CAO. Thank you. I think Guy sells himself short. I think that he always has something of value to add, not just for the sake of hot air. Um, I think that there is there's something iterative about these discussions, and I think that we could certainly give the numbers to others to present on our behalf, but right. as the conversation unfolds, I think there is important um, color commentary, if you will, that the CAOs can and do add to only come on an ad hoc basis means that you'd really have to almost anticipate when that's going to happen mm -hmm. versus us being here, and if we don't add anything, so be it. I mean, I serve at the pleasure, and so I don't mind being here, but um, I think I'd rather be here and provide what additional information you need to be a well-informed board than to not be here and to, in retrospect, wish that I had been. So talk, talk about the difference between a well-informed board and a well-informed quality committee. So uh, can you make those distinctions? Mm. I think I can offer an opinion. I, I, I would not venture to say that I could speak for everybody, but certainly I think that quality is 
probably the most important thing. Some would argue finance, but I think at the end of the day, I would feel like quality is as important, if not more so, than, than anything that we could talk to you about. And so that's where I think the color commentary is really important um, for the quality committee of the board. In terms of the Fuller board, I, um, I, I don't know that we have to be at every meeting, but if there were one that I was going to pick, I would say it's this one. I would agree with that. I think I think it's important for you, if the story needs to be told, that you're able to you're able to tell that story as well, mm -hmm. and so we can inform that story here in the quality committee, and then that can be carried forward in the full board. And then again, we can we can come into the full board as an ad hoc as well, and and add and add support there. Yeah, I was going to say this is the most important board committee. It really is yeah. because. The doors would close if something's going on in here that people just say, I'm not going there. I don't care what the price is. I'm not going. I don't care where it's located. I'm not going. Um, I, I would offer, though, to Michelle's concern about how we're spending our time. Um, I'm of the opinion that this organization must have a dashboard of data that we look at regularly every month to align on whether or not we're meeting our core mission. And then, in terms of quality, it feels like the best use of everyone's time and talent is to understand what are some priorities that you are moving the needle on that we need to understand and support you in and to uh, identify what what's necessary. Is it more resources? Is it more people? Is it more of a focus? So I do get on my soapbox about um, health equity quite a bit. And given where we are and what we do, I think that there are times when I wish we had a very deep dive around how we're addressing cross-cultural health care here. So if that's an initiative that we're taking on, I think once in a while we should hear about what we're doing. Uh, if the other is the patient experience in terms of what happens to them when they walk in the door, how they are treated, how they are processed through all of the admission and so on, um, I'm willing to have a unique kind of meeting where we get to play the role of the patient and staple ourselves to an order. Uh, it's, that's a classic HBR article. I highly recommend it to everybody. And in essence, it's taking that view from the patient view and just ask ourselves, wow, how does this look and feel? Um, I did that once for uh, Santa Clara County's um, children's shelter when it was still a separate facility. And I found that a child that had just been admitted there saw 11 different people during the admissions process. <coughs> now you do that to an adult, that's one thing. You do that to a seven-year-old, that's really horrific. How did we know about that? you got to watch how it happens, right? So my point is, can we use uh, the time that we have as a committee to do the deeper dives into some of those initiatives? But I think the full board should be sitting through that dashboard check-in. How did we do this month? Where are we on some of the measures that we're tracking? And it doesn't need to be you know, on and on, but I think if we get used to your dashboard, we will understand where we are, and that would be most helpful. Um, uh, Sutera, do you want to say something? I agree. I think there's opportunity to really focus on. 
there's opportunity to focus on why we're all here, which is our patients. And we have our strategic priorities in the form of what we've called True North metrics. And I think looking in that data and seeing where we're doing very well, and then areas where we need to continue to either get further information or a further understanding, or as others have said, either deploy some resources or shift because there's a trend that's not in the right direction uh, that's misaligned with our goals, and that would be critical. I would also just point out as we try and think about this shift at this time, which is positive, that we look at what our current QPSC bylaws say. There's 16 elements that are required to report in here by Title 22, sorry. Um, and just to understand so that we, as the staff, can better support where you want us to report because we can operationalize it. We just need to know of those 16 elements, do you want it to come to the full board? Do you want it to report in through the QPSC? And we'll make adjustments and I'll partner with the different independent medical staffs to make sure that we're also in alignment and so as best as we can align that you're not hearing about opportunities or hearing about hand hygiene performance in odd sequences because then it leaves you wondering, okay, that's great. Alameda Health System Corps just gave us a report, but I'm wondering how our other two facilities are doing. Are they on track? Are they on target? Or are there gaps? So. That'd be great. Um, I, did, I do, it does um, bring to mind the time that um, Jim Reinertson came and talked to us and we had a little mini retreat and one of, uh, for, the, for the QPSC, and one of his big things is patient stories, usually negative patient stories, and that a board should have one of those at every meeting until there are no more to tell. And, um, and the problem is that for a public board, it's harder to feel comfortable doing that, and we've done them here. Um, we did them, and then we kind of changed over to sort of more happy stories and now we have none of them. But um, I think it's something that we may want to revisit. The other thing that he talked about, you need to have the dashboards every time, but you only look at, really focus on the ones where where you aren't meeting your, your goals. And, uh, and then whatever. So if we do that for the whole board, I think that's an important educational thing for them. Uh, for all of us, but but people who don't who aren't used to coming to this be meeting, it would be nice for them to get used to looking at those measures. That's all I have to say. But I'm wondering whether will the four of you over here. So, so if I can just make a comment, Delvecchio, please chime in. Um, so, so we we have gone through a variety. We've had numerous discussions throughout the years about about the focus of this committee. So my understanding was that we really that the um, that the, the chair of the board wanted to have more information to the full board rather than less information. Exactly. So the education that we're doing in here, the presentations that we're doing in here, we were bringing, we have um, a pretty comprehensive dashboard and report and executive summaries that, would, that was coming here regularly um, that we wanted to shift some of that over to the full board and not in this committee. So um, I agree, we serve at your pleasure, we can bring information to any venue. Um, I just need to get some direction so I can plan for, you know, I'd like to plan, so I'd like to plan for the next two years so we can figure out what education sessions do we want for this committee and or for the full board or just exclusively for the full board. Um, what level of detail? So, you know, as we get closer to January, if we can get some 
some more clarity around what we would like, we can start planning. We can set that up any way the committee would like. We could have, we could have this committee be very minimal and then bring more presentations and information to the full board on a regular schedule. So we can do whatever the, the board and or the committee wishes. Yeah, um, so I think this is a good dialogue and, and is in furtherance of uh, uh, the you know, clarity that we're trying to uh, square around this, uh, this uh, pivot that we're, we're making. Um, I think and I hope what you appreciate is that we, we all um, have, you know, we support this direction and, and think it is good to bring uh, a greater awareness and uh, um, uh, education to the full board around issues of quality to balance that uh, emphasis uh, uh, in terms of the global board's uh, priorities to, to matters of quality as well. Uh, and, that, uh, and that this is solely about kind of how, how do we execute on this in a way that's clear, uh, uh, not um, uh, wasteful of your you know, valuable time and, and the input that you can offer to us uh, so, so that we execute on that. I think there will be kind of a, a, um, a sequence, if you will, or, or, or a uh, evolution of getting to that point. But uh, I believe uh, that, it, and unless we, uh, you guys feel uh, differently, um, uh, what, what uh, Karen was referring to earlier, and I have to look at it again, but the draft calendar, that we sent to you all after we did all the surveys, uh, kind of took all the, pu the puzzle pieces, if you will, of the committee meetings of the remaining committees and the full board with the two meetings and trying to figure out how best to, to sequence those and put those in place. And where I believe we landed was that this committee would meet uh, before one of those full board meetings uh, as much as possible. And so, so it's quite entirely possible that what we could do is the first part of this meeting, the closed session, basically serve as the, um, I guess what we call patient safety committee then. And then the uh, second part, the full, the full uh, or the open session part of it becomes a part of the, the, the full board meeting. So, so in that way then, it would be a monthly thing. It wouldn't from the perspective of sort of uh, demand, uh, wouldn't be any different than it currently is, I don't believe. I think um, um, this meeting, or, or historically, sorry, uh, this committee has met uh, on a monthly basis, except the months where you don't meet. And the uh, there is a CMO or chief of staff, I'm sorry, report that happens at each board meeting. So actually, it may be better because it puts them in uh, uh, the same day at least, and the same setting, and it's sequenced right behind each other. So so essentially, it'd be no different than if we had adjourned this meeting, not just adjourned the closed session. Uh, <laughs> at the end of the closed session and then went into the full board meeting where everybody came in and did the rest of this after that. So, so uh, I think that, you know, if that's what you wanna try out, we can try that out and where we find that maybe there's too much that's going on a quality perspective to the board where it's now you know, tilted in the other direction, then we could revisit coming, you know, s sending some portion of it back to this group. But, but I, my understanding of the direction uh, uh, both from what I heard before and sort of what I what I uh, heard uh, leading into today, today's meeting was that 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 would be the goal that we'd take the uh, regulatory or I'm sorry not the well some of the regulatory report and the uh, and the credentialing stuff that's happening in closed session keep that here everything else give the light of day so that everybody could understand so I, I think that we had thought we would keep the policies yeah. in cl yeah. open session in this meeting just oh, I see. because so policies it, also stay here yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. just because, because of the cumbersome nature of yeah, it. yeah yeah exactly okay but I otherwise i think your point is exactly right okay. um so there so joe you haven't said anything 
where we're headed, Ooh, goodness, with where we're headed in the conversation. Um, at a very practical level, it seems like those things which are not public are appropriate for this meeting. I mean, those things in anything and everything that is publicly available, why not make it accessible to the board? So that's the dividing line that I would I would support. Okay. Um, and I continued, I think that it makes sense, although we haven't done much of that in the last couple of meetings. We talked a little bit about the patient complaint issue in closed session, but, uh, or not patient complaint, but the staffing complaint. Um, w any case that I think needs to be, you know, a, a root cause analysis or a sentinel event type of discussion that we need to have that should stay in this closed session would be my suggestion. Uh, um, sometimes things will also be, need to be taken to the full board in, also in closed session. I'm also thinking that um, to go to Dr. Shaw's um, comment that um, maybe the doctors come uh, to the board meetings rather than once a month. They, they come quarterly and present something more in depth about what each hospital has been doing relative to the quality. And the staff would in fact then at each board meeting do the benchmarks, talk about you know what's happening at the national level and, and what we need to be looking at as board members, but the medical staff doesn't need to come to every board meeting, um, but we should absolutely calendar those meetings so that we know when they are appearing and then we could make the business portion of the agenda much, much less. Sure, we can work on that. Does that, does that, However, I'm and I certainly, Satira loves that idea, but that, what about, um, but the credentialing needs to continue to happen yes, monthly. Yes, yes, so right. right. But I suppose that the chiefs of staff don't actually need to come for that. Except you, you're, you wouldn't be giving your colleagues the benefit of actually, uh, if they had questions as well, asking the, the medical staff or the medical staff leaders directly themselves, and, and they do have to approve it. I'm talking about the full board meeting. Right, but no, it's I'm saying though is that the, the only thing you're saving them though is the full board meeting. The full it's a, it, but they still they're once a month have to show it. up here. Once a month they have right. to show up here. Okay. Yes, but they don't have to hang around for the full board meeting right. except right. quarterly. That's particularly in those instances. I think the, yeah. uh, the the good point of that is when we do go into full board, uh, we may actually adjourn to closed session at the beginning of that, so that would involve them having to yeah, yeah, uh, wait through a closed session, even if they were presenting at the beginning of an agenda, so. Yeah, yeah. and often, I'm, Joe walked the hallways yeah. for an hour fairly often, I think. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, okay, any other, Joel, you looked like you were interested in speaking about something, is that true? No, okay. Do we have anything else to say about this topic? Um, do we have any uh, report from closed session? session, the committee reviewed and approved uh, peer review and credentialing reports presented by the medical staffs. Do we have any public comment? Not received. All right, so we are adjourned. <laughs>